You know, as we're singing this song, it really declares the significance of how what we say, what we declare. How confident are you that the Lord is with you? Now, if you say, you know what, on a scale of a one to 10 right now, I'm not really up on the higher part. You know how you build that confidence? You start declaring His praise. Start declaring His praise. You are made in the image of God. The breath of God is in you. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. He has given you His Holy Spirit. Some of you right now, as we continue to sing this song, need to prophesy to your situation. Some of you are looking to the external. You're looking for somebody else to come in and encourage you. And the Lord says, today, you're going to encourage yourself in the Lord. Today, I'm going to build that muscle to say, you know, you're going to prophesy to your own situation. You're going to declare to your own situation victory. You're going to declare to your own spirit that may be discouraged right now. The Lord says, declare to your own spirit encouragement. You're going to tear off the heaviness for the spirit of praise right now. Some of you came in because you have some real circumstances. You got some real heavy things going on. And they're real. And they're real. But the Lord says that's not the destination. You're going to tear off the heaviness by praise. You say, well, I don't have the answer yet. The Lord says, you know what? You're going to declare my praise first. Build the confidence. Build your confidence in the Lord. The Lord is with you. He doesn't want you in the spirit of worry. The Lord says some of you are in the spirit of worry right now. You're sleepless. You have sleepless nights. You have worry in your spirit. And the Lord says, let's exchange that for trust. Trust in me. Trust in me. I am with you. I am walking with you through this. I will bring you out to the other side. But I want to hear your praise. I want you to declare in the face of your battle, in the face of the enemy, I want you to, to declare who I am. He's taking you, he's graduating you from being a baby to being a mature person in the Lord. When you start declaring who he is before you see the victory, that means you have graduated. See, the enemy still has you in the palm of his hand when you can't yet declare his goodness, God's goodness when you haven't seen it yet. But when you are able to declare the goodness, the faithfulness, the victory before you see it, the enemy has no dominion over you. See, there's no opportunity for him. So as we sing this song, as Rebecca leads us in this song, it's our opportunity to magnify him in our lives, magnify him in our situation, magnify him before we see the victory. And the Lord, you know what? The Lord is going to be faithful. He's going to bring you out. He's going to bring you through the battle into victory. He is always, Scripture says in Corinthians, in 1st and in 2nd Corinthians, that He leads us into victory. In 2nd Corinthians, it says He always leads us into victory. Always. In always. I'm going to have you take a seat. Actually, the worship team does have another song, but sometimes the Lord wants us to stop at a certain location for the word that the prophetic word that he's giving 
Last night, right before I went to sleep, the Lord gave me a phrase, and I just went and wrote it on a sticky, you know, one of those stickies, and threw it in my purse. And this is what it said. It said, me sorting through me, getting to you. Okay, I'll explain that in a minute. Me sorting through me, getting to you. Sometimes we get in the way. Do you understand what I'm saying? We get in the way of hearing the Lord, sorting through us all of what our thoughts are. So as I was praying this morning, the Lord brought me to 1 Samuel 17, 38 for the word that he has for our exhortation time. I'm going to read to you. This is when David is going to go and fight Goliath. And this is what it says, verse 38 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Then Saul dressed David in his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and he put a coat of mail, armor, on him. Then David fastened his sword over his armor and tried to walk, but he could not because he was not used to them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these because I am not used to them. So David took them off. Then he took his shepherd's staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones out of the stream bed and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked around and saw David, he derided and disparaged him because he was just a young man with a ruddy complexion. And a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with a shepherd's staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Whom you have taunted. It's very interesting. David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear. That was the very thing that Saul was trying to put on him, right? Before David went into battle and David rejected that. Verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the corpses of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is interesting. So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You know how popular this story is, even today, amongst children, amongst unbelievers? This is a popular story, even to this day. And that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. When the Philistine rose and came forward to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into his bag and took one, out a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with his sling on a stone, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. So he ran and stood over the Philistine, grasped his sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. 
When the Philistines saw that their mighty champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah stood with a shout and pursued the Philistines. This is what the Lord has to say to you through this scripture. Some of you are waiting to fight the battle because you believe you need to become something different than who you are. Okay? You feel like you need to have Saul's armor on you. Some of you are waiting to fight the battle because you believe you need to become something different than who you are. Okay? So think about that. Are you in the line of Saul or are you in the line of David? David abandoned the culturally acceptable techniques to fight his battle. He depended on the name of the Lord. So think about that. In the battles that you're facing, in the problems, in the struggles, are you depending on what the culture around you or what other things more than the word of the Lord? It's time for you to take off Saul's armor. Because for David, it was heavy. And for you, there's a spirit of heaviness. If you are having a spirit of heaviness on you in your battle, you are trying to fight it with the armor of the world. And the Lord doesn't want you fighting the battle in the armor of the world. The Lord says, use what he has given to you. Some of you feel confused in your battle. If you feel confused in your battle, you aren't keeping it simple. See, you have taken on the clutter of the world. You've taken on all the other stuff of the world. If you're confused, if it feels chaotic, if it's become super complex, the Lord says it's time to get real, simple. What's the third one? Jesus. The Lord says this. You will defeat the enemy with the word of the Lord and obedience to God's strategy. And he's going to reveal to you his strategy in your battle. The Lord will give you victory in your battle. He will graduate you to greater exploits, but you have to go through your battle with your slingshot. Later, David did fight with a sword as he graduated into other exploits for God but in this battle God said I want you to use your slingshot I want you to use who you are right now see that's how we grow in our in our strength in the battles is that we don't become somebody else we don't take on what other the world is saying some of us are getting really cluttered in our thoughts. If you have a, a mind that is confused, you've taken on something other than the mind of Christ because Christ's mind is never confused. Jesus is not confused. Some of you, the word worry has been in my spirit, maybe because I had a battle with it uh, this week regarding some situations. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and the Lord says, you're worrying. You need to trust me. And I said, okay, Lord, bring me back to sleep. If I go back to sleep, I know your word is true. I went back to sleep. I woke up, took back on the worry of a situation, and I went to get my coffee to spend time with the Lord. Literally, as I was driving to go to the coffee shop, I uh, stopped at the stoplight. There was a car in front of me. And there, they had one of those personalized license plates, plates and it said, don't worry. 
literally. How, what's the statistics? Never seen it before. Said, don't worry, right in front of me. And I knew the Lord is saying, will you listen to me? Will you listen to me? I am telling you, I am taking care of it. You are not to do anything. Sometimes people like me, it's harder to do nothing than to fight the battle. Do you understand what I mean? Some of you, you need to get out and fight the battle. You're hiding out. Others of us, the Lord says, can you just stand and see the victory of the Lord and not worry? Not try to interfere? Not try to get involved? Maybe because I've used you in a, in a different way in the past and you're trying to use that same manner or way or strategy in this situation. And I'm telling you, stay out of it. Don't worry. Whatever it may be for you, because everybody's on a different journey. It's not one size fits all, just like what Saul's armor was trying to do. It's everybody's on a different journey. But I know that there's battles in this room. I know that you have battles. And if you are facing a battle and you have any confusion, fear, worry in your spirit, I want you to stand. Because this word is for you. The Lord wants to declutter your spirit. Come on. I, you know what? Don't come to me afterwards. Hey, old man, pray for Come on. Let's stand right here. Let's do it. We all face. I told you I face worry. The Lord was spanking me for it. So come on. But the Lord wants to take that off of you. Now, now you're going to surrender. <laughs> See the, now you're going to surrender. Take off Saul's armor. That's too heavy for you. You think you need it for some reason. Maybe because you think you need the protection of it. Maybe you say, well, I need to keep all my options open in case Goliath is. And the Lord says, you do not need to keep all your options open. The Lord says, all you need is me. You obey what I say and believe my word. The word today is confidence in his word. Do you believe what I told you that I am with you? I am going to take care of it. You do not need to have a spirit of worry on you. Just obey what I say. Now, let's surrender to the Lord. I want you to give it to the Lord right now. Some of you got some real heavies. Some of you have, have been contemplating what you need to do uh, regarding some decisions to be made. Some of it's relational. It may be in your business or in your uh, finances or in your, your, regarding your children. The Lord, he says, give it to me. The chaos does not need to be there anymore. The clutter does not need to be there. The Lord says, I want the peace of God to rule your heart right now. The Lord says, I want you to start praising me before you see in the physical realm the response. I want you to start praising me. I want you to walk in praise that I am with you. I'm going to take care of it. I am taking care of it. The Lord says, you do not have all the facts. I have all the facts. Listen, the Lord says, you do not have all of the facts. I have all the facts. And therefore, when I speak to you, I speak to you with the, the knowledge of all the facts of the situation. That's why we can obey what the Lord says, because he speaks to us knowing all. He is all-knowing. Some of us, we need to quit playing tug-of-war with the Lord. Trying to take it back like we know what's best. 
The spirit of fear needs to be off of us. That's because we're afraid. We're not trusting the Lord. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord wants you to walk in abundant life. And abundant life is walking in peace. For those of you that are, are struggling with sleep and rest, the Lord wants to give you rest and sleep. He wants you to have sleep at night. He wants you to go into deep REM so that you're refreshed. And that's why he's coming to you because you are in your spirit are worried and you are stressed and you are entangled with lots of thoughts. And the Lord says, I want to give you my mind regarding situations. If you've had a hard time sleeping, I just want you to raise your hand. Come on, raise it. All right. We got, then I want the people around, people around. I want you to look at those people. I want you to go and lay hands on that, those people. The Lord is going to give an impartation of rest. It's not good for you. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your emotional health. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your spiritual health to go without sleep. And the Lord says, I'm sending you my rest. But you have to exchange it. You have to exchange it for your trust. Listen, you have to exchange it for your trust. You cannot cling to the spirit of worry and have rest. Lord, I pray over those, Father, that aren't sleeping, that they're having insomnia. They have maybe there's a battle going on or some problems or difficulties. Maybe they don't even know why, but it's deep. But, Lord, you want to send your rest. Lord, your Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And you, send your, and, and you say in your word, your truth sets us free. You set us free. You are the spirit of truth. And we can rest in freedom. When we don't feel like we have freedom, we are not rested. But when we have freedom, we are rested. So, Lord... I send your spirit of truth. You know everything. May there be rest, the shalom, the canopy. Song of Solomon says, the banner over you is love. You have a comforter, maybe even on your bed, you sleep under some form of blanket or comforter. And the Lord says, as you slip into your blanket or comforter, the Lord says, I want you to remember that I am your comforter, that I, my, the banner over you is love. The banner over you, you are protected by my love. And I want you to rest in my love. Perfect love cast out all fear. So the Lord says, as you slip under that comforter or under that blanket, may it be a physical reminder of my word to you. That the banner over you is love. That my perfect love cast out all fear. And you can rest that I am with you. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this word. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We receive this word. And Lord, if worry tries to set in, we are reminded, we are reminded that we have to cast it away and embrace your word to us this day. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Y'all ready to hear the word? 
You know, my wife and I were talking, and uh, uh, we drove up early. We got here about 8 o'clock this morning. It was a little before 8, and then I realized I left the PowerPoint home on a pin drive, so I had a nice drive home and drive back, and I was praying, and, and uh, when we were coming up, we were talking about how, what is the role of a pastor, you know? The role of the pastor, according to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, says that our role is to equip you to take the gospel everywhere you go. So when you take it into your business, you take the gospel. You, you actually, our role is to replicate us. 2 Timothy 2.2 says that we should instill the values that we've learned from the Word of God into reliable people who then can teach it to others. And so our role is to equip you, not to do the work for you, but to equip you to become pastors wherever you go. So you may work in the plumbing business, you may work in real estate, you may work in a hospital, you may work in a construction field, you may be uh, retired, you may be unemployed, but you still are a pastor to the people that God calls you. And so what we want to do is we want to teach you, and so right now what we're doing, we're going through a series uh, uh, talking about doing the hard things. And, you know, there's a lot of people that want shortcuts. You know, we were college professors for years, and we always met students that wanted to do the least amount of work and get the highest grade. And I remember one student of mine came, and he turned in his paper, and I was getting ready to leave uh, for a three-week ministry team with our college, and I told the students, I will not accept any papers past 5 p.m., because I will have to spend the evening grading all of these papers because I'm leaving at 6 o'clock in the morning for a three-week tour, and I have to have all my grades submitted before I leave the campus. And I saw him sitting up talking to one of his friends in the the courtyard of the campus because my office looked right out into the courtyard. And he was sitting there for 15, 20 minutes just chatting, carrying on a good thing. And then I noticed that about 5 after 5, he started hobbling down on his crutches because he had broke his, his leg, and comes into my office at about 10 after 5 and says, hey, doc, I'm here to turn in my paper. I said, it's late. I'm not taking it. I said, you can turn it in, but I'm not grading it. You're getting a zero for it. And he goes, but you don't understand. I'm on crutches. I said, no, you don't understand. I watched you for 10 or 15 minutes chewing the fat with someone out there, and you, you had plenty of time to get in here and do it. And he's like, well, that's not fair. He goes, you should give me some grace. I have crutches. I said, no, I should give you some discipline because I want you to be the man of God that he's called you to be. Fast forward several years, and he's a pastor at a church that I was the president of their Bible college. And he he actually walked into the class one day, and he says, I'll tell you, whatever Dr. Willis tells you to do, do, because he's not going to cut you any slack. And I'm the man of God I am because of what he did to me, you know? And my goal for you is to equip you with the word of God. I pray, this is my prayer, that I, I, I could work myself out of a job so that you are so fully equipped with the Word of God that you could rightly handle it, dividing it and understanding it and processing it and knowing what it says so that when someone says to you, well, doesn't the Bible say, and you can say, well, actually, it says this. You know, one of my favorite verses is, well, judge not lest you be judged. You can't judge me. No, I could judge you as long as I'm using the same standard to judge my own life. That's one of the things, that's a whole other sermon. So anyway, we're talking about hard things, and today I want to talk to you about generosity. No, it's not about money. 
Generosity includes money, but it's not about money. Actually, it's interesting when I was preparing for this, over the last couple of weeks, I've been, I've been looking at studying and reading journals and reading, and, and almost everything in the Christian world that talks about generosity talks about your finances. And although finances are part of generosity, that's just a small, small aspect of what generosity is. You know, the kingdom of God should transcend all areas of our life, not just our purse or wallet or e-wallet e, e, e or whatever we have, our credit cards. The, the kingdom of God should get and filter into all areas of our life. And today I want to talk to you about generosity, and, and I want to talk to you about having a spirit of gladness and doing things without a motive. Because I believe Christians, we should be some of the safest people you'll ever meet, we should be some of the most caring people you'll ever meet, and we should be some of the most generous people you'll ever meet. I believe that when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, generosity extends into all areas of your life, in your attitudes towards people, you know, in, in your kindness to people, in how you relate as a business person. They should know that if you're a businessman or woman, you, there should be something different about you by your faith. And they may not be able to put their finger on what, what makes you different, but you should be different than other people that don't know the Lord. And if you're not, I, I have to say, you know, you have to go back to the theologian and say, you got to look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and say, hey, who am I? Am I been created in the image and likeness of God? And then if I am, why am I, why am I not acting that way? So I want to talk to you this morning, and one of the passages that kind of spurred us on to, to do this whole series is found in the book of Micah. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, this is a kind of an everlasting command the Lord has given to his followers of what we should do. Look what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, or if you're from Texas, humbly, Right? You're a Cowboys fan? Where are the Cowboys fans over here? They're sitting over here. They're, they're in the humble section. You know, uh, To walk humbly with the Lord. And humility is, is something we're going to talk about humility next week. Uh, but you know, this, these components are really the, the earmarks of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, as, as a follower of Christ, part of your generosity is, is really it's a discipline. Generosity is, is something you have to train yourself to do. You know, uh, if you exercise at all or if you are in any discipline of, in, in, a, in a career, like maybe you have a certification in something, you have to train in that in order to pass the certification. You just don't go into an a, a, a electronics uh, a store and say, well, you know, I'm an electrician. And well, have you been trained in that? No, but I'm an electrician. I've, I've looked at it. I've seen how I plug in things in the wall. I know how they work. I'm just going to go and rewire my house. You see, because what happens if you do that is that's where the fire department comes in. And uh, that's where your insurance comes in and says, you didn't have a, a certified electrician that has, has done this work, and as a result, there's damage. Well, the same thing in our faith. We have to discipline ourselves. And I believe that one of the things that we need to look at is generosity is a discipline of our life. It's a discipline, and it, it shows us the life and characteristics of Christ in us. It shows us that we are called as followers of Christ to train ourselves up in righteousness, to train us ourselves up in the ways of the Lord, and generosity is one of the characteristics that should identify your life and my life as a follower of Jesus. 
Look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. This is where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and it really is kind of where he draws a line in the sand to them and says, hey, if you're really truly my disciples, you're going to pick up your cross and follow me. If you pick up your cross and follow me, that means you're, you're someone that's walking the path that I did. Well, what does the cross represent? Well, first of all, it represents the love of God to us because Jesus gave himself for us and gave himself on the cross so we could have a relationship with him. But it also it is a, a, a pathway of following him. I often think of this, uh, you know, if you ever carried something really heavy, you know, or push something around. Actually, if you walk in the foyer, we moved some of the chairs around. They had a play here on Saturday or Thursday for the school, and some of the chairs were left in different places, and so my OCD wanted to have them back. So after we had our, our business uh, breakfast on Saturday, which was really good, by the way, uh, we had about 20 people there, and Marina, and where's Rick? Rick's not here today. Uh, Rick uh, uh, Reynolds and Marina Bristol really did a, a stellar job on the food. We had a great time. We taught, and afterwards, we scooted some chairs across, and if you go out, there's lines from right behind the wall here over to where that chair goes. Why? Because the weight of the chairs put a line in the carpet. Well, you know, when you carry something heavy, sometimes you drag it, and the cross that Jesus carried is the line that we should be following. We should follow the pathway that Jesus walked. And part of generosity is saying that, hey, I'm going to do something. I'm going to carry the cross because the cross represents the ultimate godly generosity of God to you and I. Do you realize that? He represents what God wants to, wanted to do to all humanity. And he says, that's the pattern that you should follow. And the call of Jesus for you and I is that we take up our cross and embody all the characteristics that the cross represents. You know, when I was a, a, a teacher, a pastor in Pennsylvania, I was on a university campus, and one day I was, I was, I was out doing street preaching, and I was up uh, preaching on the corner of one of the college campuses, and there was this one young guy that came up and started mocking me, which was kind of a, a law of the harvest for me, because I had done that to the guy that uh, I used to mock, and then I came to faith, and I went and apologized to him. And I said, well, what do I need to do to, to show my, 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 my bad feelings and my repentance for the way I treated you? He says, get up on that pedestal and start preaching. So one day I was out preaching, and, and this guy came up and he started mocking me. And I thought, I know you. That was me six months ago. And I was up preaching, and he, he was mocking me. And I, I said to him, I said, he says, saying all these things, he says, you're a hypocrite. I said, I'm a hypocrite. He says, look down around your neck. And he looks down, he was wearing a big cross. I said, I'm a hypocrite. You're the one wearing a cross and telling me the gospel's not true. <laughs> you know? The truth is, when we say we're believers, it's just not in jewelry. It's not in license plates. It's not in the size of the Bible we carry. It's how we're transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God, how the Word of God transforms our actions. You know, your actions really uh, display your belief system. And if your actions are inconsistent with the Word of God, then your belief system is inconsistent with the Word of God. And what the Word wants us to do is transform us by the renewing of our mind so that we could walk like Jesus walked. You see, it's interesting because when we talk about generosity, look at Matthew chapter 10. It's an interesting verse in Matthew 10, verse 42. Jesus is also talking to his disciples here, and I love this. He says, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, uh, to these little ones who is my disciple, truly I'll tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. 
You see, just the demonstration of, of kindness to people, you know? Jesus says that you, you want to be my followers, and everyone wants to do signs and wonders, right? Oh, you know, especially as a charismatic or a Pentecostal. We're a charismatic Pentecostal church. We believe in signs and wonders. But what about being generous to people? What about offering what you have? What about offering a smile to a person that may be looking like they're having a bad day? What about just being kind to people? What about being a person that is just overwhelming with, with, with uh, uh, concern for other people? You see, we're living in a culture right now that is very self-absorbed. And what generosity does, it, it demonstrates to other people, it's not about us. It's about them. And, and really, the truth is, this is one of the problems that some churches have. I hate to tell you this, but this church doesn't exist for you. hate to tell you that. The church exists for the people that don't know him. We're basically a training center. You, you sang a song this morning about lighting you on fire. Well, I'm here to light you on fire and then send you out into the harvest field. I, I, I am a spiritual pyromaniac trainer. That's all I do. I start fires in you, then you take the gospel everywhere you go, and you start other fires. You see, if we could represent Christ outside of this building. See, it's really easy to represent Christ in here. But what about Tuesday afternoon? What about Friday night when you're, you're downtown having dinner and, you know, someone takes your table that you've been waiting 45 minutes for? Yeah, that's right, baby. <laughs> you see, the truth is our faith should be demonstrated in our actions. You know, generosity also... It, it generates the opportunity for us to grow in our, our faith. It generates the opportunity for us to mature in our faith. And it puts a level of maturity into us, allows for a level of maturity in our lives to help us to grow to become more Christ-like. None of us have arrived. I hate to tell you, if you think you've arrived at everything Christ has for you, you don't understand the Word of God. You know, Let me tell you when you arrive. When we're doing a service here and people are telling you, People are telling everyone in the service of how good a person you used to be. And you're maybe laid out in a, a, a casket here. You may be in an urn on a table here. Maybe your body was donated to science. Maybe you're already, you know, we didn't, didn't have a body to, to, to have here at a memorial service. But when you die, then you're completed. Until then, we're pressing on to knowing the Lord. Until then, we're going to grow every single day in what God has for us. And look what it says in Paul talking to the, the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, you know, we often talk about that as just dealing with finance, but what about dealing with our perspective of being generous to people? You know, don't you all love when people are generous to you? You know, I love when you go out to eat and someone is generous and gives you a larger portion than you paid for? I mean, how many of you like that? I mean, looking around, well, I could tell we like that, you know? <laughs> you know? We went to, I won't mention it by name because I don't want to embarrass anyone. We went to a restaurant, and they have a couple different locations in the area. And the one location, we go there and we order our tacos, and they're just like swarming with food. And we went to the other one, and it was like, did someone already eat this? 
because there was like a tablespoon of, of carne asada. You know, and if I'm going to eat carne asada, I want carne asada. I want like all of it, you know? And, and you know, and the same thing is true when we're dealing with people who are generous. We want to overflow with generosity. We love it when people do it to us, but why don't we do it to others? You see, because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you're going to sow, you know, I'm going to give you out only a little bit of generosity, just a little bit to you. Don't expect it to come back to you. And when, one of the things when we look at this, what do you, I have to ask you this. What do you want to reap? Do you want to reap sparingly or abundantly? Abundantly. Why? Get more. Give more. The more you get, the more you're able to give. And remember, it's not all about us. It's about representing Christ. And Christ gives us life, how? Sparingly. Some of us, that's the way we live. Well, there's only so much here. I can't be generous because, you know, if God's generous to me, if I give this generosity away, I won't have any to hoard for myself. We don't say that, but we act that way. Given it shall be given unto you. The more you give, the, the, the Lord, this is one thing that's amazing about the Lord. He has the ability to multiply small things into abundance if we trust him. You know, I'll, I'll, do, I'll tell you what. You start acting generously. You do it for six months. And if it, doesn't, if it doesn't multiply itself in your life, I'll refund you for the service today. <laughs> All right? No, 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 don't, no questions. You don't have to fill out any forms. We'll just refund you for the service today, all right? So one of the things we have to ask, Paul, he, he tells us in, in his writings that he wants to increase the level of righteousness in us. And it, it's interesting because one of the things that the apostle Paul did, Paul was a very uh, a learned man, a very disciplined man. Uh, he persecuted the church, and then he came to faith and as a result of all of those things of who he was, he says, you know what? One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to press in to know the Lord in a much deeper way. And one of the things that God wants to do is God wants our level of understanding of who he is to translate into who we are so people could know who he is through us. And one of the things that God wants to do is God wants to demonstrate that. And I, I believe that one of the principles about generosity is this. Generosity releases Blessing and prosperity in your lives. Do you know that? That stingy people do not get blessed, but generous people do. Why do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that. You know, this isn't my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. Look at it says, Proverbs. Proverbs is a big reason why we're doing this series. My wife and I were reading it, and we kept talking about different things we saw in the Proverbs. And what are the Proverbs? The Proverbs are books of wisdom. They're, they're pithy little sayings that if you apply them to your life, you will attain wisdom. Wisdom in, in the Proverbs is, bless you, is wisdom in the Proverbs is, is personified as a female. Not inferring anything, guys, but you know, you could learn some things. Yeah, that's right. We got one female amen over there, you know. But look what it says. Look in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. A person, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. You could extrapolate from that that if you're generous, you're going to be blessed. If you're not generous, you're going to enter poverty. Why? Because poverty is about holding things. 
generosity and abundance is about giving things away. You know, the, the, the greatest thing you can do is realize that being stingy is not a principle of the kingdom of God. You know, I hate to tell you that. If you're stingy, it doesn't, I'm not saying you're not frugal, you're not a good steward of what you have, but if you're stingy, you will never experience the blessing of the Lord. Why do I say that? Because the book of Proverbs says that. Look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22. He says, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty waits them. You see, people that love money, the, the money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is. And actually, people that really love money will do anything they can get for it. And if you've traveled around the world like we have, or if you've been in different countries, you realize that people will do incredibly unbelievable things for money. They'll sell their children. They'll sell themselves. They'll, put, they'll, they'll, they'll do stupid things to get it. You know, it's interesting. I was reading an article, a journal article, and it was talking about uh, wealth and poverty and the difference between the two. And it's, it said about generosity, it was talking about giving to charitable causes. And it, it, there's a direct, uh, I should say, there's an indirect correlation with wealth and amount of money that people give to charitable organizations. So if your income is lower than $25,000, there's a larger percentage of the money that is given globally to charitable causes by people who have a lower income. The higher your income goes, the less likelihood you are to give. As a matter of fact, one of the studies showed that if, if a person makes uh, under, uh, or excuse me, if a person makes over $100,000 a year, which is poverty in this area, by the way, you're, on, you're, you're considered uh, in the, the lower social economic class, according to statistics in the Bay Area, but you're going to give less money than people that give, uh, than people that are under 100000 They also found that the lower the income, the, uh, the, the uh, less likelihood there is for shoplifting. Everyone thinks it's poor people that shop, but studies that have been done on shoplifters notice that shoplifters tend to be more highly educated, and they tend to be from a higher income, and there, there tends to be an attraction to shoplifting just because of the thrill that's involved with it. They also think, how many of you have paid your taxes? Okay, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, you know, joyfully give. They may not deserve it. You may not think they deserve it, but the Word of God says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You know, they'll be responsible for how they handle their finances, just like you and I will be responsible for how we handle our finances. But it's interesting, they said that the, uh, the IRS did a study, and they found out that the wealthiest people are the most likely to cheat on their taxes. You know? So if you go through Scripture and you go through life and you go through, you'll see that being stingy is not a good thing. Being a person that is, is, is greedy is not a good thing. Matter of fact, Proverbs continues in, in Proverbs 11.25 says this, A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. How many of you need a refreshing? You know? We're not talking... We're talking about being refreshed, being renewed. You know, if you bless others, God has this ability to bless you. Actually, the word here that's used to, to prosper, I love it. It means to make fat. How many of you want to be fat? You know, I just saw a commercial last night on television. There's a new pill you could take that'll help you put weight on. Only in America. 
I tell you, you know, they had these two people on there saying, I've always been skinny. I could never gain weight. And, and, and I take this pill and amazing. I put 30 pounds on and the girl was all excited. She put 70 pounds on. I was like, wow, only in a country where we starve ourselves, half the people are starving themselves and the people that are heavy want to get thin and the people that are thin want to get heavy, you know, because no one likes who they are. Let me tell you something. When you root and ground yourself in the Lord, you'll be totally contented who you are as a person. But one of the things the scripture says here is he wants the Hebrew word here means to make you fat. And you know what fat in other parts of the world means? You're prosperous. You know, I remember we took, I won't mention anyone by name because I don't want to embarrass anyone or body shame anyone. But we took a person with us to India and one of the pastors kept saying, you, oh, you're so fat. You are so fat. And they were offended. But he was basically making a compliment to her. You know, and, and afterwards she said, you know, I think I should move to India. They really like me here. <laughs> you know, fat means you have provision. You don't have to go out and do the work. You're not working in the field. You're not stomping the rice. You're not pulling the things. You're not carrying the bricks on your head. You're not doing all this work. You could just sit around and eat and put weight on. See, some of us are, we're happen to be born in the wrong culture, you know, but the truth is provision of the Lord is a, a sign of abundance to us. And the, the Lord wants to make us abundant. And, 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 and provision is one of the ways he does that. And one of the ways he allows you and I to, to uh, gain provision is being by, by being generous with what we have. Given it shall be given unto you. You know, another thing that the, the scripture says in Proverbs is this. Whoever, look at Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Wow, that's an interesting verse, huh? If you're kind to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Hmm. Interesting. Do you ever read that one? No? Why don't you just carry some food in your car, you know? See a guy on the side of the ramp? He's hungry. You know, you don't know what he's going to do with the money, but I tell you what, if you give him food, he's most likely going to eat it. One of the principles I learned after living in India, which has a beggar culture, that beggars can be choosy. I've had people where I've said, hey, they have a sign, I'm hungry, I go to give them food. No, I don't want it. I want money instead. Well, what do you want money for? Uh, none of your business. Oh, it is my business. If I'm going to give you, if I'm a good steward of my resources, then I, I'm going to give you something. I want to know you're going to use it for what you say. You know, I've told people that, hey, I'll, I'll take you and buy you a meal. No, I don't want it. Well, then you're really not hungry. You want to use it for something else. But you see, one of the things that we're called to do is interesting because we're called to be people who are good stewards in all areas of our life, including what we do to others. You know, it's an interesting passage in Scripture. Jesus is talking about, uh, talking, he's giving a parable in Matthew chapter 25, verse 42 through 46. It's a parable of the sheep and goats. And look what he says here. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did, uh, did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they, they too will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or a sick person or in prison and did not minister to you? And the king will answer, truly, I tell you that whenever you've done to one of the least of these, you have done to me. And they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, there is a principle of righteousness 
that is when you take care of the needs of others, you're demonstrating the love of God to people, that you're demonstrating the compassion of God to one another. You know, that's one of the things that Scripture teaches us. And really, when we're talking here about prosperity, we're not talking about finances, folks. Finance is just a sliver of what it means to be prosperous. Some of the most prosperous people I know don't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of joy. They have a lot of peace. They have a lot of uh, abundance of things in their life. They have family. Do you know family is a, is a source of prosperity for you? Yeah. You know? Talk to someone that doesn't have family, has nowhere to live, nowhere to go. So according to Jesus, true blessing is not money. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fade. You see, we, we do such crazy things for paper that in a moment can be worthless. We do crazy things so we could accumulate wealth that when you you're find out, you go into a doctor's appointment, and he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I could do. You've got three months to live. It doesn't matter how much money you have. That's not going to give you peace. You know, when, when, when we're talking about prosperity, there's so many different aspects of prosperity besides finances. But we tend to focus on that as a culture. And Jesus is telling us that one of the things is we should focus on is that there is a treasure that does not wear out. And that's our relationship with him, our understanding of who he is and how he wants to flow through us. And generosity is just a demonstration of the kingdom of God coming down into our life and flowing through us. When you are generous, what you do is you allow God to hear your prayers. Do you know that? One of the things that scripture teaches us is that through our generosity, God hears our prayers. How do I know that? What does the scripture say? Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Wow, that's a pretty strong one. You see, the first, the first proverb tells us that when we close our eyes, our prayers aren't going to be answered. You know, one of the things that God wants to do is God wants us to hear our prayers. So many times we pray, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, but we're holding it in. You know, I always love, you know, lottery was really big this month. I have never bought a lottery ticket. I don't know if you do. That's between you and the Lord. I just personally don't. I've never bought one. Actually, I had a, uh, years ago, the lottery was at a very large amount. A friend of mine called me from out of state and said, hey, uh, if I send you a hundred bucks, will you buy me a hundred dollars worth of lottery tickets? I said, no. He's like, why not? I'll send you the money. He says, I'll, I'll wait, I'll, I'll send it to you. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to sow into that. I don't want to sow into that because one of the things I've learned and, and, and studied and people that, financial planners will tell you this, that people that win the lottery within five years are in a worse financial shape than they were before. So people tell me all the time, well, pastor, pray for me. Pray I win the lottery because I'll give. So, well, here's a tithe envelope. Start now. <laughs> you know? You know, you're not going to give when you have little. You're not going to give when you have much. You know, the principle is there. You know, you're not, you're not going to, you know, well, no. If I had more time, I'd do more things around the church. No, you wouldn't. If I did this, I'd do that. No, you wouldn't. If you're not doing it in the little, you're not going to. See, even the babies are crying over this. You know, we're, we're offending everybody. You know, it's not, it's, see, because what we have is a principle of our heart. 
And generosity flows out of your heart. Actually, there has been studies done in that the older your car, the more likely you are to stop and help someone along the road. You know, my son just got a new car. He's no longer going to stop and help people, you know. He had this old Buick that we paid five grand for, and the thing lasted longer than any other car we've ever had. It was actually embarrassing to drive in it because it looked so bad. But I tell you what, we'd always stop to help people, you know, because there is a direct correlation between people not having, there's what they call the empathy gap. And the more money that we have, the less empathy we have for people that don't have. And we, we, we actually, we don't say this, but what happens in our mind is we think they deserve to be in that situation. Not realizing, but by the grace of God, there go I. And one of the things that I want to help us to understand as followers of Jesus is that generosity is a characteristic of Christ-likeness. Generosity is a characteristic of our life that demonstrates to other people around us that we're not like everyone else. That we, we, will, we will sacrifice for someone else. We will lay down, you know, gr- no greater love has a man or a woman than to lay down their life for a friend. But what about the person that isn't technically your friend? Will you lay your life down for them? Will you sacrifice yourself for them so that they could do, uh, have some things that they may need? Boy, this is, whole series is so quiet. I tell you, you know, but I hope, I'm, I hope we're, sh- we're challenging you in your faith. And if you haven't been here, I really encourage you to listen to the the sermons that are online. Randy, just let me know. They're all up online right now. You really need to listen to these because this is really the core of the gospel. The hard sayings of Jesus, no one likes to hear them. We always want to talk about being blessed and being favored and having all this. But when we get down to where the rubber really hits the road, are we generous people? Oh, well, that's uh, Jose, this message is for you. It's not for me. You know, you, you know, you got someone else needs to hear this, but I, I, I downloaded this sermon for you because I know you need it. I, I, I got it covered, right, brother? Isn't that the way we think? Appreciate yeah, appreciate it. Not just picking on you. It's always someone else that needs it, not us. But the truth is all of us need to hear this message. I need to hear this message. You need to hear this message. Because one of the things that happens to us is if we all talk about wanting blessing, but generosity is actually the seedbed for experiencing the blessing and generosity of God. How do I know that? Guess what? The Bible tells us that. Look what it says in Psalms. Psalms 37, verse 25 and 26. I was young, and now I'm old. How many of you can relate to that? Okay. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. This is good. Listen. They are always generous and lend freely, and their children will be a blessing. You see, one of the things is, if you're a righteous person, you demonstrate righteousness to your family, not just by your words, but by your actions. You see, a lot of times we could, we could talk to our children about what it means to be a believer, but if we're not living it out, it, it's, it's empty. And one thing about kids is kids, they have sniffers for fakes. Now, you know, that's one of the things I love about, about children. They're not... They're not tainted by culture in such a way that they, 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 they buy everything. They're a little bit, you know, aware of things. And sometimes when we get older, we get a little bit numb to things. But children love to, to just tell you the truth, you know? My grandkids come up to me and pat me on the belly and say, jelly belly. So, okay, another hour on the ab machine, you know? Kids tell you the truth about yourself. How do you like my hair? You don't have any. 
Hi, how are you doing today? You have really bad breath. You know, all, I mean, kids tell us the truth all the time. You know, that's the blessing of it. And I tell you, the truth of the word is that if you want to be blessed generationally, if you want your children and your grandchildren and your nephews and your nieces to experience the blessing of God, be a generous person. And when you're doing it, just don't do it, you know, in talk, but do it in action. And then talk to people and say, hey, the reason why we're doing this is because Jesus loves us enough to do this. You know? We have a food distribution program here. You know, Sandra is out in the foyer guarding the foyer for us. But Sandra and a team of people twice a month give out food in our fellowship hall. You know, and it's a blessing. You know, I don't, it, it, it's amazing how people, we think that, oh, no one needs food around here. But I tell you what, there's a lot of people that need help. And a lot of people you wouldn't, wouldn't expect to need help that need help. And I tell you, when you serve in there, it's a blessing because you are actually demonstrating the love of Christ by blessing other people. And the thing I appreciate about Sandra and the team that works in there is that they put the stuff on a cart. They push it out to the car. They put it in their car. And they say, have a good day. God bless you. You know, it's demonstrating not just in, in, in our talk, but in our actions, and one of the things that God wants to do is he wants the blessing to be passed on from generation to generation. And this passage in the psalm tells us that. And here's another one. Listen to this. In Psalm 112, verse 5, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And what he's talking about here about being generous is basically stooping and bending to help someone else. You know, what it's really, the symbolism of this verse is it's I'm humbling myself to be down at a person's level that needs assistance, you know? A lot of us, we like to be stand proud, you know? But what about being humble and kneeling down? You know, where my wife got her doctoral degree, there's a statue in the foyer, and she has a small one when she got her degree, the university gave her a, a statue of it. And it's, a, it's a, a, a sculpture of a man sitting in a bench like this. And then there's a, a, a basin on the floor. And then Jesus is down on the floor like this, washing the man's feet. And the only way you can see the face of Jesus is if you lay on the floor and look up at him. And it's, it's a symbol of the servanthood of Jesus. You know, Jesus took on the ultimate symbol of servanthood by dying for your sin and my sin. And yet, so many times, we don't want to just help someone else, you know? And when you help someone else, you're actually demonstrating the love of God. You're demonstrating the presence of God. You're demonstrating the grace of God. You're demonstrating how God wants you, our, our lives to be examples to other people. You see, one of the things that's interesting is, is in Scripture, there's this whole thing about we want to be righteous people, Right? We want to live a righteous life. We want to be people that live a right living. We're in right relationship with the Lord. But look at Matthew, because in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, in the first several verses, the first four verses there, he talks to us about, hey, be careful about practicing your righteousness in public. You know? Because if people, if you're looking for this, go ahead, stick your hand out. Everyone do this. Put your hand out. Put it over and tap yourself on the back. You already got it. That's all you're going to get. But if you don't care about getting it and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do this as unto the Lord. Colossians tells us, and I don't have the verse up here, but Colossians tells us, whatever you do in word, in deed, in action, do it as all as unto the Lord. When you're being generous, you're actually demonstrating the love of Christ to other people. 
And God calls us to that. God calls us to the understanding of how we should work, how we should live our life. You know, worship team, I don't know what time it is because the clock's not here anymore, but I, 15 until we got some time, good. We'll go for another 45 minutes. Somebody be generous. <laughs> Give you more than you want. No, only kidding. Worship team, if you want to get ready, I, I, I want to, uh, I just have a couple more scriptures to, to talk, and then I, I, what I want to do is I want to lead us into a, uh, a prayer, a congregational prayer. Uh, you know, as charismatics and Pentecostals, we don't do that a lot, but there's value in that. You see, generosity is something that really fleshes out our faith. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, or excuse me, the book of Acts in in verse uh, uh, 35 of chapter 20 in the book of Acts, he said, and I love this, he says, and in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our, our, the Lord Jesus himself, who said this, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, Paul, who came to faith, who had an incredible encounter with the Lord, who was someone that had persecuted the church, demonstrated the, the reality of his lifestyle coming to faith as being a person that took the words of Jesus seriously. You and I should have the same response. We should take the words of Jesus seriously. You know, it's, it's better to give than it is to receive. This isn't about money, folks. This is about giving your life to other people. This is about sharing what you have with other people. This is about realizing, you know, one of the things that, that every time I come back from being overseas, and we, sometimes when we go overseas, we see some real difficult things. And I just thank God that, you know, I, I could have been born there, you know? One of the reasons why we do so much work around the world as Christians is because we realize God has blessed us as a nation. One of the things I told the churches that, that we support and the missionaries that we support around the world is that our church is located in one of the wealthiest parts of the world. And as a result of that, we have an obligation to be good stewards of the money that flows through here. That we don't keep it all here, but we give it. And we, we, our role is to bless the nations financially because we have the resources to do that. But you know, our role as people is to bless the people that come into our lives. Bless them in, in incredible ways. You know, 1 John 3.17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Well, that's a pretty tough soul searcher, isn't it? You see someone in need, and you have the means to meet that need, and you don't. Scripture says, how can the love of God be in you? Paul speaking to young Timothy, his protege in the faith, says this in 1 Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's you and I, folks. We're in the top 10% of the wealthiest people, no matter what your income is, probably in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world, right here. Okay? You may not be in the 1%, but you're probably, globally, you're at least in the top 5%. He says... Don't be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us 
with all things to enjoy. Instruct them. See, that's my role as a pastor, is to instruct you in the Word of God. You know, to challenge you in what the Word of God says. And the instruction is to do what? To do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous. Be ready to share. And if you do this, what you're doing is you're storing up for yourselves treasures of a good foundation for the future. You know, every building that is built, the, the longevity of that building is predicated on the foundation that it's built on. And I want you to be men and women who have a good, solid foundation, an eternal foundation, not a temporal. You know, one thing I've learned in life, money comes, money goes. Houses come, houses go. You may have lived in the same house for 50 years. I, I don't know how many houses, 12 or 13 houses we've lived in. We've had houses foreclosed. We've had houses that we've sold. We've had things that we've had that we love that we thought we'd never get rid of, and then they wear out. But I'll tell you what, the investment you make in the kingdom of God and in kingdom living will never wear out. Amen? So what I want to do this morning, I've got, I think, uh, uh, there's a prayer I want to pray. But before we do that, I want us to, to listen. And if you know the words, sing along with the song that we're about to sing. But don't just sing the words. Ask the Lord how it applies to your life and my life. You know, God's goodness to us means we should be good to others. And generosity is being good. Generosity is being kind. Generosity is being gracious. Generosity is caring for others. So this morning, I want to, if you put up that uh, prayer, there's a, I think it's four slides. I'd like us to read this as a, a prayer of dedicating ourselves back to the principles that the Lord wants for our lives. All right? So let's just pray. Gracious God, give us generous hearts to share whatever gift it is that you have given to us, to acknowledge you as the giver of all good gifts, to give without counting the cost, to share without expecting something in return, to be wise in the way of caring for others, or ourselves and others, to hold all of our treasures and values with open hands, to have gospel priorities and to align our life, love, and time in their light, to be gracious and unbegrudging in our giving, to recognize the abundance of blessing in each passing day, to know the freedom that comes with true generosity, to accept our talents, whether many or few, and to use them in the service of others, to grow in giving thanks for everything, to be happy with having what we need and wise enough to know what it is that we want and do not need. To fall more deeply in love with the God of all generosity so that our hearts are strong enough to give away freely whatever is asked. O oh, gracious Lord Jesus, we generously lavish our lives with goodness create in our hearts a deep center of gratitude, a center that grows so strong in its thanksgiving, that shares freely of our treasures, becomes the pattern of our existence. Remind us often of how much we ch you cherish us, of how abundantly you have offered gifts to us, especially in the hours of our greatest need. May we always be grateful for your reaching into our lives with surprises of joy, growth, and unconditional love. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. 
Amen. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing that song and worship one more time. And then uh, if you want a special prayer, we have prayer teams that will come up. Pastor Lynn's going to come up and close the service. Amen. We're all challenged, right? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we don't want to be hearers of your word only. We want to be doers of your word. And I, I know, Lord, that there are many areas of all of our lives that we can increase in generosity. Generosity of spirit, generosity of kindness, of giving financially, giving of ourselves in the talents and gifts that we have been given. So, Lord, I pray over us, Lord, that that increase would happen in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for where you have placed us in this area of the world. We thank you, Lord, but we also know that it's a responsibility to us. And Father, we accept that responsibility because we know that it's representing you. And it may be tough sometimes. It may be hard. It may require a lot of discernment, it requires your wisdom, but Lord, you said you would freely give that to us as we exemplify you in the world that you have placed us in. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In your name, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great day. If you need special prayer, we have our prayer teams available to you.